Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome back to See Also. I'm Brady Lancaster. And I'm Kate Jinks. And just reminding you that we are, of course, coming through your headphones, stereo, car, whatever. Maybe you're walking down the street like the absolute psychopath I saw the other day who was like, <laughs> I'm dressed in activewear, walking down my street, listening to a podcast at full volume on an no. iPad. On an iPad. On an iPad. On an iPad. (laughs) Phones on public transport with no headphones. Truly, I'm going to go postal one day soon. Oh, it's bad. Don't watch that video. Turn it off. But, like, seriously, walking down the street and, like, she looked like she was, like, on a long walk. Like, it wasn't even just, like, I don't know, from the car to the house or whatever. Not that that would be okay, but, yeah. Psycho behavior. Anyway, behavior. If you're not that person, (laughs) (laughs) you should come and see us do our first ever live podcast at the Wheeler Center as part of their Spring Fling Festival. Yeah, we're on a completely stacked program, and it includes people like Rebecca Mackay, not friend of the pod, but someone we've talked about on the pod, uh, Pia Miranda, aka Josie Brandy, Queen of My World. Caroline O'Donoghue and the Sentimental Garbage podcast, like huge all round. We're very honored to be on the lineup. Um, it's on the 10th of October from 7.30 at the Wheeler Center in Melbourne. Yes. And if you are just buying a single ticket to there, or if you're buying tickets, but not like a pass to the entire festival, we actually have a code, which is all caps, see also, no spaces, see also, uh, and you get 15% off your tickets. So it's a bargain. Bargain. A bargain and a night out with the girlies. 
Jinxie, we're alive. You made it on the other end of the festival. Yes, the finish the finish has festivaled. That is a very good example of what my brain is doing currently. Uh, you yeah. said last night that you're still like vibrating and like the adrenaline is still coursing through you. Yes, it's uh, it's a lot to do to go through like a, a massive festival where you're just kind of like on all the time. Um, even when you're asleep, you're on, you know, we had fabulous guests coming to town, including yourself, Brody Lancaster. Oh my God. Yeah. I was on the bill. Um, I was so impressed by how together you were every time I saw you over two and a half weeks, <laughs> often at night. <laughs> And I knew you had long nights ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, always at night. Always. Like I at was night. exhausted just dragging myself to like sit and watch movies, and you were running the show. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a lot of people running the show, but yeah, it's it's funny being the you know one of the people who has to be, yeah, like on on stage, always ready to make an introduction, ask some questions, <laughs> make sure Are everyone a- is having a good time. I mean, I yeah. feel a little bit like party liaison um, during the festival. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm constantly concerned that people are going to, you know, like what they need out of the city and like <laughs> what if they want, like, do they want tiramisu? Do they want like to watch a soccer game? Do they want a specific kind of drink? Then, you know, <laughs> this is where you go. Did you um, do what you predicted in our, our like myth food and drink recommendations episode and eat most of your meals like in the office eating soup, which was like one of the saddest things I'd ever heard? No, I uh, survived off canapes for three and a half weeks and uh, that's fine. Um, I'm good to go. I mean, it's balanced always, a canapé. <laughs> From a Michelin chef, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get, get to, to it. it. <laughs> um, on my break, I think I managed like 23 movies. That's great. Me- met lots of very sweet See Also listeners, including someone after the Joanna Hogg film, mm-hmm. which is, you know, very on brand for us. Welcome to the Hog Hive. We're happy to have you. It welcomes all. Someone chased me down after one screening to like let me know that they listened to the podcast, which I just simply loved. Um, and a few listeners at uh, the Consuming Culture panel, which was really sweet. Yeah, I had quite a few people coming up to me, um, listeners saying that they love the pod and it was really nice to see them at MIF watching really good films. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, I hope they uh, listen to our recommendations. But also, if they didn't, doesn't bother me. <laughs> I saw so many good things. Okay, here's my favorite things I saw at MIF: How to Blow Up a Pipeline. I'm obsessed with domestic terrorism now. Um, <laughs> Kelly Reichardt's showing up. I hope mm-hmm. I don't get put on a watch list for saying that. <laughs> um, how to Have Sex, Earth Mama, Perfect Days, You Are So Right, Loved Perfect Days. Yeah. Talked about it with a lady in my Pilates class this week. Eternal Daughter, obviously. La Chimera, obviously. May, December, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and Smoke Sauna Sisterhood, just adored. I wish I'd been able to see that one in a cinema. I didn't get to see very much. Um, obviously, you know, I'd seen pretty much everything, but I did get along to 
a couple of the restorations that were showing as part of the critical condition strand. Um, and an absolute highlight was uh, this incredible documentary that um, Michael Koreski did a great um, panel afterwards for called Symbiopsychotaxiplasm, uh, which is just such a great document of New York in the late 60s, late 60s. And I'd never seen that in the cinema, so that was very exciting. Also, uh, Claire Denise, Trouble Every Day, to just see that, you know, gory cannibalism set to a tender Tinder stick song. There's no one like Claire Denise to do that. And then I uh, closed out the festival as a patron, which was really, really fun to do. I went to see Alice Rohrwacher's La Chimera and... I cried um, much and no, it had nothing to do with the lack of sleep. Um, (laughs) That was a big day, but um, it was, yeah, that was just beautiful. After seeing it in this like very tiny room in Cannes, a room that I was not meant to be in and neither was (laughs) my co-programmer, Kate, but uh, we we managed to get in. And so it was just nice seeing it from there to... Mm being at the Astor and just seeing it with this, like, huge audience um, was mm. lovely. It was just so nice. It's such a perfect film. It's so beautiful. Yeah, and then I topped it off with a little Mario's dinner with my pal Rosie afterwards. Perfecto. Oh, yum, yum. I had a few breaks in between movies. I, I skipped a couple, but I also, like, planned a couple of nights off for myself, which was really essential. Um, and on one of those breaks, I oh, – went to the movies. I went to see Asteroid City. Oh, you had to. Had to. Had to simply keep up with the discourse. Remember a year ago when Nope came out during MIF and we were all like, I got to wait. I got to wait till after the festival. Mm -hmm. Um, But also like a much talked about movie dropped on Amazon Prime, Red, White and Royal Blue, which is kind of this like fan ficky like a, it feels like a kind of Netflix, like very unstylish uh, romantic comedy, but I really loved the film and it is based on the Casey McQuinton novel, which actually got me out of a reading rut earlier this year because there's nothing I love more than like a fluffy, gay, horny, YA adjacent it feels like YA but they're adults, you know what I mean? Um, and there's like a lot of gay sex in it, which Amazon did not sanitize too much, which, you know, is kind of great. And it's turned into this kind of like big meme vehicle Mm. recently, which is kind of fun. Yeah. And I caught up on like a bunch of TV. It's been great. That's really nice. I mean, I managed to stay on top of and just like that throughout the entire festival. Uh, Because I had, I just had to. Also, Rahoni. Oh, one thing I managed to do on a Friday night, even during Myth, was I did my duties and then I left for exactly like two hours and like ran across the bridge like fully ran across the bridge and I went to the opening of the new show at MTC it's something I had been very excited about it is uh two separate Carol Churchill works uh What If Only and Escaped Alone um and they're both directed by Anne-Louise Sachs who is the artistic director of MTC and 
it's really just the greatest uh, pieces of theatre I have seen, like, in a long time. Like, you know how much I loved uh, mm. Jackie and This Is Living, but th- there's something about this these shows. They are perfectly complementary, these two pieces. The first one stars Helen Morse, Deborah Lawrence, and these like, four older women on stage having this conversation, and it's sort of slightly apocalyptic and the set is really beautiful and then the second piece uh, just stars Alison Bell and I won't give too much else away about it but it's Mm. essentially about like grief and uh, grief and a boiled egg anyway I could not recommend (laughs) going to um, that that uh, collection more it's uh, what if only and escaped alone at MTC and you buy a ticket and you see both that is a real true commitment to the arts for you to like run from your theatres into another one. Thank God I was like dressed appropriately. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it was really, it was really, really fab. Like it was really mm. lovely. And then I went back, of course. I did a little moseying around the city. Um, I went to spring 1883 at the Windsor got two weekends ago now, which was amazing. So a lot of great work by like Jason Fu, Darren Sylvester, a lot of faves and like discovered a bunch of great new artists there. Is that still um, on or is that like no, a... Oh. No, it's like a four day. It happens every year. Yeah. I think it, there seem to be a lot of like non-Melbourne based galleries there this year. It's been a little, it's been a few years since I've been to spring 1883 and so I think I'm not sure if it's it used to be all Melbourne based. I might be getting it totally wrong, but um, yeah, they take over like all four floors of the Windsor Hotel and like galleries exhibit work in the space in rooms like mm-hmm. suites of the hotel. And so it's also really fun to like explore the hotel. Also, I went the day after seeing the Eternal Daughter, <laughs> which is. Tilda Swinton like spooking around an old timey hotel with like you know heavy floral carpets and like you know haunted drapes Mm -hmm. and so this was like very similar you know a big kind of endless winding staircase in the middle of the Windsor also I want to stay at the Windsor someday I never think of it when I have a little staycation but it was very uh pumping I've also been in my jock era, I've mixed codes and I got behind the Matildas at the very end of their World Cup journey, went to Circuit, the gay bar on Smith Street, to watch the semi-final. Really? Um, Did you? <laughs> yes, because so many bars were booked out. Like yeah. it was really hard to find somewhere that still had availability <laughs> for the semi-final. And my friend Oliver booked a table at Molly's upstairs from Circuit because apparently like drag night had been cancelled. They were going to put the Matilda's game on the big screen. So we arrive upstairs and turns out the drag show might have been cancelled, but drag bingo was not. So we'd accidentally (laughs) booked a table for drag bingo. So we had to like scarf down some pretty bad food and then run downstairs to the circuit nightclub. I had a pineapple vodka cruiser. I watched the girls sadly lose, but I did run almost quite literally into Alana Kennedy from the Matildas yesterday on Gertrude Street which was pretty iconic, I've got to say. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I was very mad that uh, the entire uh, World Cup was on at the exact same time as a festival, but I did manage to see a couple 
I saw the I, like I saw the actual finals on Sunday night, but that was kind of how I polished off my festival. But mm-hmm. uh, I did have a funny experience. I had to get from Acme at Fed Square over to Victoria, the restaurant um, on the other side of Fed Square. But it was when the semifinals were on, and I ended up having to get a security escort. <laughs> It's ridiculous that um, flares, I, flares are going off, barricades are being stormed. Like really, really, it was really intense, and yeah. um, I yeah, and like I could not get through any of the crowds, and there was no way around, and they weren't letting more people in, and so anyway, I went up to a security guard and asked like if there was any way I could get into the restaurant, like how did, and he said just grab my arm, Dal, and then he pulled me through the crowd. Uh, it was quite fun, and. Uh, I came across an article on Twitter. Where else? Well, actually, everywhere else because Twitter doesn't even exist anymore. It's X. But (laughs) I could not click fast enough. It was called I Was Wrong About Trigger Warnings Mm. by Jill Filipovic. It was in The Atlantic. And I immediately, I sent it to you before I'd even read the article, I think. Yeah. Well, a headline like that, it's like we we need to read, we need to discuss. Yeah, and the subheading is, has the national obsession with trauma done real damage to teen girls? Mm. And, yeah, look, it's just such an interesting, and I don't have like a really formed opinion on the piece or on trigger mm. warnings. It's just, it was, um, it's just kind of a fascinating read and for this person to be like this writer to be bringing up their reckoning with trigger warnings and like mm. their changed thought patterns about them I mean yeah as as someone who like came from like she's someone who came from like you know women's online journalism where um you know it was believed that putting trigger warnings ahead of you know as we know them articles that discuss things like abuse or assault or any number of kind of like traumatic issues but then she describes like situations where people would then find other things to be kind of like concerned or or like you know saying that other other contents in the articles like re-traumatize them in some way Mm. um and so it's kind of like this question of like how far can we go to like protect everyone's online experience to cost it people's mm. um i mean you don't want to re-traumatize someone obviously no, um no. but yeah there was one interesting she speaks to so many different like mental health professionals as well as like educators and um you know uh and there's one line that was applying the language of trauma to an event changes the way we process it that may be a good thing allowing a f- person allowing a person to face a moment that truly cleaved their life into a before and after and to seek help and begin healing or it may amplify feelings of helplessness and hopelessness elevating those feelings above a sense of competence and control and then she goes on to to uh, supply this quote um, from a mental health practice we have this saying in the mental health world, perception is reality. So if someone is adamant that they felt something was traumatizing, that is their reality. And there's probably going to be mental health consequences of that. So it's not saying that uh, people are overreacting about something being traumatic. Yeah, it's not calling people snowflakes. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much. And I think that this is the first 
piece that I have read that isn't that's not a reactionary piece. It's not saying, oh, we don't need trigger warnings for mm. anything, you stupid snowflakes. It's mm. very much like this is something that is growing and obviously like mental health speak has become the norm mm. and like what is this actually doing to particularly younger people and to like mm. particularly teen girls in this article? How are they developing and like how are their I don't know, emotional behaviours, but also their ability to deal with real situations that do happen all the time in the world. And the ability to, like, be a person who can come across kind of, like, upsetting or distressing things and manage or cope, you know, it might be difficult, but to to not be kind of approaching the world from a place of, like, being attacked or something, you know, mm. and I, I don't want to you know, I'm not saying this in any way to like diminish genuinely, you know, traumatic experiences in the world. I th I think like reading this also, it sparked something that I've been thinking about for a long time, which is like the idea that a generation below us maybe has the experience online that like they can curate an internet and a social media kind of ecosystem for themselves that's like curated and designed for their specific needs and I think that's a tricky idea. You know, it's something that we never would have assumed is the case, you know. Mm. And I also think that, like, the internet and social media can really, like, validate feelings of, like, victimhood. You know, you mentioned kind of, like, therapy speak. And I've just been writing a story about this for Vogue that's going to come out in a little while. But I spoke to a psychologist for it who talked about like that like therapy speak kind of manifests in this like culture where using terms like triggering or red flags or you know like this is a boundary it's turned into a one-way street where it's like this binary idea it closes off a conversation it says I refuse to engage with this thing that I find upsetting which I think is fair enough and it's well within people's limits to say I refuse to engage but when handled in like a kind of healthy therapy processing context, those things are more complicated and they open up a conversation rather than like shutting a door. And, you know, obviously a lot of people have been thinking about this in light of like the Jonah Hill situation where it's just kind of like a prescriptive, like this is my boundary and it becomes like an instruction or like a mm. demand on, on the world or on someone else rather than like a relational thing that says like, you're a person or you're an article or you're a social media platform that I'm choosing to engage with and I need to figure out how I engage with it rather than to just say, I refuse, don't do this because I personally don't like it. Mm. Yeah, because if it's, you know, and that might be the mm, thought of one person, like one person who needs that. But then the next person has a different level mm. of what they can handle or what they're kind of up for or, you know, like you can, like you say, curate an online microcosm for yourself. But the the internet is actually full of lots of different people and everybody mm. has their own boundaries. So, yeah, that, that thing of being like, this is my boundary mm. um, is, you know, it's very different. It's very different to like simple like uh, ethical boundaries of like mm. what we all believe to be wrong and right or mm. they're, they're very different to like a personal 
boundary and I, it's very it's just really interesting it's such an interesting time I mean mm. with even with cinema like I'm very involved in working out viewer advice you know there are like all these different levels of like well this is you know you go from like mild to moderate to strong and and I'm very careful to uh include as much you know detail for uh, about certain specific triggers particularly around like sexual assault and sexual violence and domestic violence is you know such a a massive um not trigger but like you know there are just a lot of people just cannot go there which is Mm. absolutely or animal abuse is such a is a big one but um with Mm. with viewing cinema but Mm -hmm. it's interesting to talk to to filmmakers and artists as well about that Mm. I also find sometimes like I I have deleted the app and re-downloaded it, but like I think I'm genuinely addicted to TikTok. And I find that a lot of people's, based on the comments, uh, it's a big generalization, but it feels to me like a lot of people use that app and assume that everything that comes on their For You page, everything that the algorithm serves them was designed to speak directly to them rather than just be a piece of content that someone has decided to post online. Mm. And the comments really reflect that. Like someone will say, here's the breakfast I made today. And they're serving up a cheer pudding. And the comments are, my textural issues mean that I can't try this. You know, it's like, okay, no (laughs) one told you to, no one suggested it to you specifically. Like I saw a video of someone making focaccia, which has lots of air bubbles in it if it's good. And the comments were, wow, trypophobia warning. <laughs> like, sorry, sorry, girl, you've got a fear of small holes. Like this focaccia video is not representative of that fear. And I know that this makes me sound like someone who's like, I hope it doesn't make me sound like someone who's like, your triggers and traumas are invalid because I do not mean to sound like that. But I, it, it the uh, reading this article and thinking about this a lot, has led me to a, you know, it's it's brought up these feelings that like all these observations where people ex- don't just assume but expect the internet to automatically know their boundaries and and kind of appeal specifically to them. And it's like, girl, that's not how the world works. I come across shit every day that I fucking hate and annoys me or upsets me. And I'm not super well adjusted clearly because I'm yelling about it now, but like we've got to figure out how we respond to those rather than to just go, no, you're wrong for putting this in front of me. (laughs) Sorry, Bia, I'm still getting over the holes in the (laughs) focaccia. Like how do you get through the day? How do you get through a day? I once posted a TikTok video because I'd found these really great Lazy Susans to go in my fridge that I store all my like tinned Uh, or like jarred like pickles and stuff on and I was like I found this thing in Ikea and I like put it in my fridge loaded it up with pickles could not have expected how much the internet was furious at how many preserves I have in my fridge that's a story for another time but someone in the comments was like this is $40 and that's inaccessible to a lot of us and I at that point was sick of the annoying comments on this video so I said no one's telling you to buy it No, that's the thing. I said, this is what I found for myself. And this person doubled down and was like, no, I deserve to be heard. And when I say that this is not for me or whatever, and I was eventually I just said, great, tell me more about the things that I have that you can't like. 
That's wild. I, yeah, I'm not on TikTok, so I don't get that so much. I think it's just one of those topics to watch. And I don't mean like trigger warnings as a thing or like being cancelled or whatever. Boring, boring, boring. It doesn't exist. But this article is the first thing that I have read that is coming at the idea of uh, trigger warnings and younger generations from a progressive stance Mm. that is Mm. not that kind of like, oh, you snowflakes, stupid thing, Um, Mm. that does actually validate the the fact that people do need um, content advice or, you know, a lot of people cannot, are not in a safe place to handle certain things in like art or literature or on the internet, but also at what level is that provided that is actually care or is doing harm? It's it's really mm. interesting. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the context of it coming from someone who worked in specifically feminist media spaces who was saying, we did this for the benefit of our readers, largely women, to validate their experiences And now in retrospect, I'm investigating my role in what this environment and ecosystem looks like now. I'm really interested in that. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, trigger warning, and just like that. <laughs> it's time for our woke moment. <laughs> just kidding, I'm mad. Oh, God. Um, and I'm Kate Jinks. No, it's, uh, <laughs> look, we we have been leading up to this moment, BL, we've barely discussed, and just like that, this entire season, by design. I think the last time we talked about and just like that, it was Valentine's Day. It was just after WidowCon, or as you called it, WizardCon. So we've had like five Aiden episodes now in this 11-episode season, which turns out is not going to be the last one, bizarrely. I don't know. I reckon it is. Do you think there's not really going to be a season three? I mean, I think there's going to be season three, but I don't feel like Aiden will oh. factor into season three very much. Oh, no. I was saying I thought that season two was going to be the oh. final season, like leading up to leading up to this finale. And obviously we got the news last week that they're making a season three, which I just find baffling. It's a bizarre, especially because they did the like, they did the thing they did towards the end of the series, which is like, kind of tie up everyone's relationships in really neat little bows. Mm. I mean, 
I thought there was going to be the end uh, too. Sorry, I totally mis- mis- uh, misheard you before. But I thought that And Just Like That was going to finish this season when the news broke that Samantha was going to appear. Mm. I thought, okay, that will that will be the end of it all. But as our friend Emily kept saying, it can't be because a major conglomerate like Max is not going to, Vale HBO, is not going <laughs> to allow people to just watch the show in peace. They'd be like, final season, final episode, you must mm. watch, you know. Mm. That's true. That's true. I wish, I, I, I mean, I've said before that it's a terrible show and I'll watch every episode and I stick by it, but it's become increasingly unwatchable. Like uh, we had a little viewing party last night with our friends, Emily and Mike. Um, Thank you, friend of the show, Harvey Sutherland for making us Cosmos. Look, apology. I was so annoying. I didn't, I don't think I fully realized how much watching this alone in silence in my apartment means that when I'm around people, I just yell about it. You were not annoying. It was the finale of And Just Like That. There was a lot to yell at. I mean. We paused a lot. We, we did a pause lot. a lot. We did say we wouldn't pause, but then we had to pause. I just, okay, sh- how do we do this? Should we go character by character or? Yeah, okay, let's do that. Okay, so Carrie, let's start with Carrie. Can I just say, let's not do all the characters because there are too many characters in this show. We'll be here for three hours. Um, Carrie didn't even make a dent in blowing out all the fucking candles in her apartment. Candles in on shelves, on otherwise empty kitchen shelves behind glass. I yeah, candles in painting. Fr- candles in front of paintings. Candles that she blew out before Aiden came to the door, but then there were many other votive candles around them. I was like, come the fuck on. Also so much overhead light in her apartment. Every lamp was on. There were 7,000 candles and yet like recess downlighting. It made no sense because, I mean, it's 2023. Uh, Cinematographers, uh, DOPs have worked out how to make mood lighting work on screen. We do not need to have – it's not like – it's a student production where they're like, we don't know how to use lights. It's, you know, and I mean, not to be disrespectful to student filmmakers. Because no, but we they don't. We are do better than the lights. filmmakers behind and just like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't understand why she needed all those lights on. I hate overhead lighting like so many people. It's foul generally unless you've got like one statement pendant light or something like that anyway big light in on in gen z the big light turn off the big light the big light okay no one wants the big light on but she shouldn't have had those lights on i completely agree she has a small cat like a kitten and she had so many of those like tea lights around yeah that's asking for trouble the fact that there were so many moments where she had the cat and then opened the door and left the door open <gasps> and the cat running out the door wasn't a plot point in any moment. Like Mm-mm. the balcony of her new apartment is a death trap for that little cat. I thought the same. And also I, there is a moment where the cat runs outside and she's just like, oh, come here, shoe. And then that was about Shoo. it. That was I love it. that it's called shoe. It's a good, it's a, it's a cute name. It's a very carry name for a cat. It's well, well done. Well done writers. The one good thing that you did this episode. We know that we know this show loves to jump ahead months and months and like cut the cord on storylines and relationships and 
big was a mistake. All right, let's never talk about that again with your mm-hmm. friends or boyfriend ever. Mm-mm. Um, but like, do we think that the five years break that Aiden's prescriptively told her they need to follow is like, are we going to pick up years down the line in season three? Are, are we going to be close to Aiden coming back? Like, Carrie doesn't know how to date. She doesn't have any functioning social interactions anymore with anyone new in her life. She never meets anyone and is normal anymore. No, and how great was that one episode where she met the what's-his-face from Younger who's married yeah. to Mariska Hagate. Yeah. That, like that was a good episode where she actually had cute like little she had like a meet cute with him the doctor the Olsen twin reference all very good the amazing apartment I was like oh yes we are back and this is why yeah this is why big died you know so that we could get this stuff not for Aiden to come back in I am so irritated by the Aiden storyline I know that yeah a lot of people are like, oh, it's nice that she blah, blah, blah. I just, I didn't, I didn't need any of it. Or he could come back in and they could be like, hey, we're not actually meant to be together. Or, you know, I, yeah, it's unnecessary to me. Yeah. Every episode of this show I'm realizing feels like just kind of a waste of time. Like I'm waiting for it to be the thing that it's kind of on the label it says it's going to be. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of a sad statement that she got back together with Aiden in that, you know, she's in her 50s and the only, like, her entire pool is men that she's slept with already. I mean, when is Justin Theroux coming back for, like, a third go around? Or is it only going to be men she's been engaged to at some point? (laughs) Totally. I don't know. It's, yeah, I find that, and the five-year thing, like, come on, man, that's not, she's, no, as my sister texted me late last night, she'll be 60. It's like, she she doesn't have time to waste here. And wasn't that a whole big part of her and Aiden moving so quickly was that she was like, I've lost a love before, I can't lose, you know, like, I won't wait. And she said that to Seema as well. She was like, you deserve this now or whatever. I'm Mm. paraphrasing. I'm actually not paraphrasing, I just forgot. I love how we didn't even bother to do a spoiler for this because, I mean, if I mean, how could you not have watched this already? We're uh, recording five days after we usually do so that it's so fresh it's and reactive. Fresh. But when Aiden is like, where did my son even get psilocybin? It's like you live in like a cabin in the woods and you used to wear a lot of turquoise jewellery. Where do you think he got it? Like, come <laughs> on. Mushrooms are so hot right now also. Like of all the drugs, of all the drugs to be like messing around with. I mean. It's like, Aiden, it sounds like your son's fucking cool, which no one thought he was before this. Like if it had been like LSD or something, like if he'd taken it to like an acid place, you'd be like, oh man, yeah, 14 year old on acid, that's, you know, well, they might turn out like. If he'd taken fentanyl, I'd be worried. For sure. I lean into that opioid crisis, but it's, I just, mushrooms, you're like, that's that's cool that's fine yeah he's not cooking a beef wellington for several people in regional victoria be grateful (laughs) oh my god did you see that murder wall in her previous apartment yes i did (sighs) whoa 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 whoa. anyway uh that's a whole other topic (laughs) no see also for that one if you know you know you can google (laughs) you can yeah um international listeners uh 
please do Google Victoria. What what like Victoria mushroom murder murder wall death wall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Anyway, yeah. I think that the most unbelievable thing in the entire series is that she sold that apartment. I know that she needed to move on, but. She should have kept it and just rented it out to that little bitch Lisette who does not deserve it. I cannot stand this Lisette character. She makes terrible jewellery and most of her jewellery was stolen in that stupid episode. So how did she get the money? She's obviously just a trust fund kid. I know she used to be a model or whatever, but come on, man. Like we know that Seema was like mortally offended by how little Carrie sold the apartment for. But at the same time, apartment logic was such a big part of this season. It was Aiden can't come into the old apartment and so they have to stay in a hotel, but despite the fact that they're both multimillionaires, they can't afford to stay in a hotel. So instead of renting a different apartment, buying a townhouse, early, like they fucking bought a tens of millions of dollars townhouse but instead of doing that sooner, they just started subletting from Che, who has not a single pot or pan, pot nor pan in that <laughs> hideous apartment. And then that had to be a whole plot line. So then they had to buy a place. So that like it's just fucking come on. Yeah. And this all could have been resolved mm. if they just skipped five steps. And Carrie just becomes a landlord, which is her destiny. Well, I mean, she already had the money from that other apartment that she and Big lived in, and she had the Hamptons house that they owned, which has never been mentioned, even when she and Seema were planning to rent in the Hamptons. It's like, what happened to the Hamptons house? Also, Seema renting on Airbnb. Bitch, you're a high-powered real estate agent. You do not sublet on Airbnb for a summer house. Come on. I mean, maybe she would just get like the deal of the century though like maybe she'd know about like the one place to stay maybe I don't know I just like anything to do with Seema I'm like it's a pass because yeah (laughs) she's like the best character on the show she's the chicest she is the she although that dress I was worried it would go up in flames at Carrie's apartment at the last (laughs) supper I really liked the dress she put on after having what looked like good sex with the vape lord. Um, oh, the and green it was just gown? kind of like, a, yeah, long green kind of like pleated number. Mm, I thought that was just a sheet until there was a close up. So, yes. Me it too. Was, yeah, it, was, it was a halter. <laughs> she loves a backless halter, Siva. Charlotte and Harry. They're my MVPs. Although at one point last night, I did yell, can these two fuck? And you all got mad at me because they had he famously came on her tits but mm-hmm. couldn't come. But in the in the timeline of this show, that was a year earlier. That was when the kids went to camp mm. in 2022. And we, we're past Valentine's Day 2023 by the time he's saying, I had to take the kids to school, I do everything around here, mental load. And I just want them to have like a fun, frisky little sex life as well. Yeah, sure. I get that. Although I did really love them struggling to work the new phone. I thought that Me was too. like the probably the best thing in the episode. Me too. It would have been funny if she had had a line that was like, I would call Miranda, but she's not good at this stuff anymore. <laughs> <laughs> They're fun. I love them. And yeah. I also loved, you know, I loved um, Charlotte's hungover speech to Harry about what he thinks he's doing around the house versus what she in reality has done for 
decades. Yeah, I could feel a lot of women watching that going, or like part, like people with partners and children watching that and going like, yes, this is exactly what I, you know, have been trying to say. Yeah. So yeah. that was that was really well written, I thought. Uh, Miranda, okay, Miranda. Oh, oh, girl. Oh, girl. Oh, Miranda. Look, okay, we have differing opinions on Miranda going to Shay's Comedy Club. Yeah, she shouldn't have done it. She 100% as girlfriend of comedian, you do not <laughs> t- turn up unannounced. Like particularly if you're an ex of one, mm-hmm. you do do not. And if you are listening and you are considering doing that Miranda move, do not do it. Uh, it's only going to end in trouble. It's mm-hmm. It's bad for the, even if you have like issues with that person or whatever, Actually, if you have issues with the person, do whatever the fuck you want. That's fine. But if you kind of don't in that Miranda Shea situation, like it's going to throw that person off. Like they're performing. It's their work. It's their job. Like do Mm -hmm. not show up just to like, I don't know. I don't think she should have been there. I think that it was like Shea is a stand-up of course they're going to use their life as material. I have been the butt of many jokes on stage it's like you actually just have to deal with it. Yes. The difference is that when Zoe makes jokes that involve you, they're funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Jinx, he just had to go and answer the door. And while she was gone, I was scrolling and just saw Donald Trump's mugshot, <laughs> um, which is the fake tan that he got in preparation for that is as bad as Kyle Richards when she goes on holiday <laughs> in uh, Ultimate Girls Trip Season 1. What else? I was yelling about the intro comic kind of harassing someone and what Che got up and did after that, it wasn't – it was objectively not comedy. Um, it was just listing all the ways that, like, they were – all the reasons they were mad at Miranda – and okay, so Carrie's historically a bad friend, um, but Carrie watching that and then to not only stay in the club when Miranda left, but then to insist that they both had to come to her dinner the next night or week or whenever it was, and then the interaction that Miranda had with Che at that dinner where Che was like, Brenda was like, not funny. And Che was like, they were actually good jokes. I was yeah, like, you're right there. Sit down. They weren't. They were bad. Yeah, they were, they were bad. Yeah, they yeah. were bad jokes. They weren't jokes. It was bad commentary. Absolutely mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And I'm not a Che apologist, particularly after Sara Ramirez's <laughs> Instagram post about like the way that they'd been mistreated by that article about them. Oh, Calling boy. Brock a writer in quotation marks. I'm like, <laughs> you really need to be careful about who you're dismissing as not a writer when you work on it and just like that. Yeah, like a quick way of dealing with someone saying that you aren't very funny and don't have a sense of humour is not by putting up a completely humourless post about it. It is about yeah. how you've been doing on it for three months as well. Oof. So, yeah, that's the thing. It's, it wasn't even reactive. You couldn't even be like, oh, well, you know, they're having these feelings in the moment. It's very much like yeah. they have been thinking about this for three whole months. That's a season. That's like... Yeah. One single episode of And Just Like That, by the way, they do their time frame. 
They also, like, Che had to come to this goodbye to the apartment and the only other time I believe Che has been to that apartment was when they fingered Miranda while Carrie pissed herself in bed. In a Snapple bottle. In a Snapple bottle. And in that piece for the cut, when talking about that scene, (laughs) Sarah Ramirez said, I felt very held professionally. Sorry, sorry. If you don't want people to think you're humorless, try being funny. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I I would agree with I would agree with you. Yeah, look, Miranda, I'm glad that she got the UN, whatever. I don't even really want to spend too much time talking about it because she's no. a depressing character this season and last season as well. But um, I did like the ending with Dolly Wells. Um, yes. Our gal. Um, See also Dolan M on Stan in Australia. Yeah. She was also in Can You Ever Forgive Me? Love her. Oh, yeah. We so love Dolly Wells. That seems good. It seems like, you know. It seems good. Miranda has a job again, which is like it's oh, we've, gosh. She, I don't know where she's going to live next season, but she's got a job mm-hmm. and she went and talked to Steve, which I, I loved that that moment with Steve. Steve where, and his clams. I'm happy. His clams. Miranda. Of course I got a drink. I'm a bartender. <laughs> Miranda. And when he said I wasn't wrong about us all those years, mm. I was like, yes, don't dismiss your many, many years of like a what seemed to be like a good, normal, stable relationship just because you have kind of learned more about yourself mm-hmm. in your 50s. I loved yeah. that. I was irritated with the LTW storyline, um, not with the miscarriage. I think that that is a great thing to put on a TV show like this and a lot of people mm-hmm. will be able to relate to her feelings about it. But I just wish someone had said the word abortion at some point, not just like dancing around the issue. It's like it's such a hot topic in the States right now haven't mm. we moved past this mm. like why can't the word even be I don't know like what what is the reasoning behind it what did they say they were like I'm so lucky that I have a choice or something yeah and that's about is it that they said? like yeah. that's fine but I don't know I just it's 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 irritating like he's on this political campaign too so like I don't know, Would is there not a world in which like a storyline could have just had one little scene of him making a speech and talking about like in, caring about women's reproductive health or something? Yeah, I just, that felt a little, I was, I was irritated by it. I wish she got to like be a filmmaker a bit more too. Yeah, I'm glad she know? got the series. That's good, good for her. I'm glad that Naya got the chef. Great, that's great. But I wish she hadn't talked about those olives popping in her mouth or whatever it was. Yeah, Naya was a little too – the funniest thing that – was it Che ever said was, like, get a room? <laughs> or was that Bobby? I th- yeah, I think that was Bobby, yeah. Is his name Bobby? I don't know if his name's Bobby. Boyfriend of Smoke. Boyfriend of Smoke who said he wanted to get rid of Smoke? Yeah, that wasn't As a funny great. joke at the table. Yeah. I- also, the last time they were in the apartment, they were, like, making that hideous fucking dress. Oh, yeah, ruining Carrie's life. Yeah. Okay, who else is there? Seema, obviously, we've discussed beautiful, fabulous. Love. Give her an entire series. Who have we missed? Is that everyone? Anthony. Oh, sorry. Oh, my God. Sorry. I put a wall up. Well, listen, to quote the show, this is not about your asshole. This is about your other walls. <laughs> I mean, like, that's. 
I don't know. I listened to, I did listen to um, the Writer's Room podcast, the like official Max podcast about and just like that because Mm -hmm. I wanted to, because I was so irritated by uh, Stanford becoming a Shinto monk that I listened, I put myself through this terrible podcast to listen to it just to see if I could get some closure myself. And um, it's, I don't know if you've listened to it, BL, but it's like, well, it's its like Michael Patrick King plus like a bunch of the writers, like Samantha mm. Irby was on the one that I listened to and a couple of others. Mm. And it's so, it's such like a defensive thing. Like they're talking about like what really happened when they were putting the episodes together. But it's very much like uh, getting on the front foot of critics of like, well, this is actually why we did it before you can say anything. Like it felt, it feels very that. It doesn't feel like you're watching kind of one of those great generous director's commentaries on like, you know, a Blu-ray or whatever, like mm. where you're actually getting behind the scenes knowledge. It just feels like, oh, this is something that you probably have a problem with. So I'm going to tell you why I did it. Right. Anyway, they talked about the Shinto monk thing and it's because Michael Patrick King was in Japan with Sarah Jessica Parker after Sex and the City movie number two came out and the critics hated it. So he was visiting lots of temples and it made him feel calm. Anyway, that's not a reason. Um, And that's why, uh, like, Willie Garson, R.I.P. Ballet. Alive in the world of this show, but can't ever possibly like. Is that is that the way you write a character out? You make them a monk? Mm-mm. No, I don't Ridiculous. think it should be. Ridiculous. Also, I said it like a year ago, and I'm going to stand by it. Sex and the City two, the terrible movie, is better than and just like that. Wow, it's better written. It's better performed. There's a moment where you know. Samantha talks about how friendship is the real enduring lasting relationship in their lives. I'm like, get fucked and just like that. You're nothing compared to Sex and City 2. I'll rewatch it. But yeah, look, Anthony, that whole thing. I and I Michael Patrick King talked about why he used the phrase like, because in the second last episode, uh, they're like the thing about being a woman, like I'm not the woman. Because, you know, how many times have, like, gay male couples been asked, like, who's the woman? It's, like, 100%. And, like, that's something that I have been asked on the other side as, you know, a gay woman. But that is completely different to Anthony in 2023 using that. I just was like, oh, this is odd. If you're putting the words of ignorant people in the mouth of a gay character, like, what is the intention or the like the what what are you communicating in this show also like i find the show to be you know obviously and just like that when it premiered they added so many characters of color they added almost exclusively new actors all of whom are women of color or people of color and so it's kind of like they've they've achieved the their like diversity intentions in one way but the the representation of like sexual and gender diversity is really bizarre. Like Shay being a non-binary character who is detested, annoying, bad at their job, unfunny. It's like, all right, that's a choice. Like make Che a villain if you're going to go down that road. But also like the women of color barely ever interact with one another. They only ever talk to their white friends. The white characters don't have any people of color or like, 
non-white romantic prospects. They never fuck anyone who's not white. Um, and I also find that the the way they handle like Anthony's sexuality is just bizarre. Like Anthony was just waiting for a call to come to brunch or to the Met Gala for like eight episodes and then he met a guy with a huge dick and he and Drew Barrymore and Ross Matthews like objectified him <laughs> in a very Sex the City season three kind of era way. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'm just like, what are you telling us in this show? Because it changes every five seconds. Oh, it sure does. For the record, I don't need the show to tell me anything. I don't need there to be a message. No. But they are setting the intention that they want this to be like a progressive, morally upstanding kind of show. I don't need that. Mm. I want like demented people fucking each other, but that's not what you're giving me. I know. And like, they don't even go to brunch much anymore. I just want to see them at some stupid fancy like restaurant. That's all I want. Zucchini <laughs> chips, garlic oh my cookies. God. Like try enough the zucchini the, chips. They're delicious. With the quirky food plot lines. Yeah, it was really odd. Oh, God, Samantha. We haven't talked about the Samantha. Oh, that main character in the show, Samantha. We didn't yeah. even text Carrie once in 10 episodes. The spoiler I was given was correct, though. Yeah, you were you were told that it was going to be a limo scene. I was asked, has the limousine scene happened yet? From someone with, with intimate knowledge. And it was correct. Mm. I don't know. Was it worth the money that she was paid? I cannot tell you. It was fine. Like, good for Kim Cattrall getting that payday. But ridiculous. If they have not spoken since that weird text exchange since the first season of And Just Like That, how are they now in this position of receiving a call and it's all just, like, kind of okay? I think we're supposed to believe that they have. I think that the show assumes because of the kind of friendly nature of that phone call that it wasn't the first phone call you know Samantha mentions that Charlotte and Miranda told her about the dinner despite the fact that the three of them never said Samantha's name this entire series but I found the tone of that conversation like Samantha there were glimmers of Samantha Jones as we knew her but like when I was writing my notes for this conversation, shockingly, I have some, um, I've gone a little off the rails, but I just found it too sentimental. Like Mm. it was, it was so, so earnest and it felt like a kind of small death for that character because Mm. like, you know, think of like Candace Bergen popping up in and just like that, like the tone of those appearances is so perfect. It's so kind of like, messy and like campy and it moves the plot forward in some way but like it's like they cast it's like Kim Cattrall has to be Kim Cattrall like she wasn't being Samantha Jones in that moment it's like if she was Samantha Jones she would have hung up the phone and then like a man would have appeared and he was like out of frame like between her legs in the limo or something you know (laughs) yeah I uh, she may as well have just winked at the camera and gone like watch my show glamorous on whatever streaming platform I don't even remember if that's the name of the show that I watched the entire series of um yeah (laughs) she had a personality transplant maybe that's why they're not friends anymore (laughs) maybe that's why but look ultimately with and just like that it's a terrible show and I really enjoyed it and I'm very relieved that there's going to be a season three. 
I'm relieved it's over and I'm also relieved it's coming back. Yes. <laughs> because I have feelings and you have feelings and we all have feelings <laughs> <laughs> about this show. <laughs> Time for also also's. It's been a while. Jinxie, what's your first one? My first one is a read also. So Melbourne writer Isabella Tromboli. She has a new essay called Life's Work in Heat Literary Journal, which I was not aware of. It is a published in the flesh literary journal. But they do have an online iteration and they have actually released Isabella's essay online for free. She has spent the last 12 months or so reading diaries by women. And in this essay, she reflects on her own relationship with keeping a journal as well as experiencing these women's lives up close and personal through their writing. Uh, she writes about people like Alex Clorubad, Anai Nin, Helen Garner, uh, and Anne Charlotte Robertson, whose work I'm very personally interested in. Anyway, it was a beautiful essay. She's a great writer. I really feel like it's a very much one for the See Also listeners. It's on brand. My first one is a snack also. I started packing these in my bag for almost every session at MIF and have recently bought an entire box of them <laughs> for myself and a gift for a friend. They're um, just sugar-free lollies by Funday Sweets, like Sunday but with an F real cutesy branding and packaging and they make gummies uh not party gummies sadly just uh just snacky gummies their fruity ones taste like fruit the sour ones are genuinely sour they're really great and I am like quite literally obsessed with them and you can buy them online luckily the woolies near my house also stocks them uh, I've got a chic also next <laughs> <laughs> that one's just for you Beale. Uh it's a new black linen suit uh, from the new range at Alpha 60 I know mm -hmm. I have talked a lot about suits on this podcast and shout out to my faves, Capes Collect, and um, also got a good one from Arnsdorf. But anyway, Capes Collect is always my go-to, but I have been searching for the perfect, like, loose black linen suit that I feel like I could travel with very easily. I am about to go away again and I am excited to pack this into my suitcase because it's like that perfect sort of flowy pant leg, like it's a wide pant leg. The blazer mm -hmm. is like structured just enough. You know, it's like, ooh, casual. I love it. Also, the pants have like an elastic waist at the back, which is something I never wear. I never wear elasticated pants. Like, Do you not? Only to bed. Like all through pandemic, I wore jeans. Wow. wow. I am okay. that person. <laughs> Filing that away. <laughs> For when you commit a crime and I have to give evidence on why I saw it coming. Yes. Anyway, so this one feels like it's like a bit of a mullet situation, like party at the front. It looks like normal pants, but uh, oh, no, it's business at the front party at the back. Anyway, sure. that's what it is. Anyway, you the buy the party is elastic. <laughs> the party for me is elastic. Anyway, you buy them separately. It's the Tamara blazer and the Amira pant, but they match perfectly. Did we mention they're from Alpha 60? Yeah, from the new Alpha 60 range. You wore them last night. They looked really good. Why, thank you. I felt comf yeah. in it. 
Yeah, but also, I'm going to say it, chic, very put together. And if I were like a women's magazine contributor 20 years ago, I would say you can dress it up or dress it down. You can. It's like put it in your suitcase along with a bottle of bourbon and a typewriter. Truly, it's very Josh O'Connor of you also. (laughs) My next one is a stretch also. I want to recommend Body Concert Pilates by Kasha Lynch. She has um, stretched me and given me flexibility as a Pilates instructor in recent years and is opening her own studio in Carlton. You can download the app Body Concert um, in the app store you know where you get apps and book um group or private pilates classes if you've never done pilates before there are like beginner options if you're accustomed to the practice there are more advanced options there's also meditation as well um i got to do a little bit of work um helping kasha with some copy for her new business and i'm now just very excited to go and enjoy the classes um and she's an incredible teacher <laughs> i've booked in for two sessions next week already so excited very excited Did you like your email newsletter i loved it that copy felt warm and intimate but ever so chic you're welcome <laughs> my last one is a drink also we all know that i love to try a non-alcoholic beverage uh Probably because, especially because the festival has just finished and I, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, did my job. Anyway, uh, this one is the Vivello Tea. I tried it in Spring Centra and White Peach. It's like a lightly sparkling iced tea drink uh, using uh, Japanese green tea sweetened with local white peaches. We love that. Uh, mm. I bought it at Morning Market here in Fitzroy, but you can surely buy it whenever you can buy like a good non-alc or a good iced tea. It's sort of a bit like Tina, which we've mentioned on the pod before, one of our faves. Um, but yeah, look, it's it's a it's nice to have a new one in the mix. Cute little can. They're always coming, cute little cans. It's a prerequisite. My last one is a watch also. It's a film that you told me to watch at MIFF last year and it's just out in cinemas in Australia now. It's Godland, directed by, oh, I don't want to fuck this up, Kleiner Palmerson. Sounds good to me. Sure. There's four vowels all together in um, Kleiner's first name, so I really hope I did an okay job. (laughs) Godland is one of those films that... I hate to be this person, but you kind of have to see in a cinema. I don't know if uh, a laptop or a home screen would do it justice. It's really glorious to watch. It's a really intense, beautiful film about, like on the surface, it's about a Danish priest who's like traversing Iceland in the 19th century with this really heavy uh, wet plate camera strapped to his back and... The locals don't want to communicate with him. I watched this whole film not knowing that um, Iceland was colonized by the Danes. And so that added an extra layer of context to the film that I didn't have when I saw it. But yeah, it kind of created this legend of like a box found in Iceland with these photographs taken by a Danish priest. The first photographs ever of the southeast coast of Iceland and the film is inspired by these photographs but those photos never existed. They kind of created this like legend and then made a film around them, which I love. It's very dramatic. Yeah. It's a really stunning film. And I, yeah, it is one of those in cinema only kind of films. It's gorgeous. 
Thanks for listening to See Also. If you like the episode and our previous episodes, leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you may and uh, a little review because we love to read them and it helps us reach new people. And you can also follow us at See Also Podcast on Instagram. And just a reminder about our live show, we'll have all the details for the tickets, etc., in the description for this episode. Thanks, as always, to Samuel Hodge for our artwork, Harvey Sutherland for our theme music and the Cosmos. We'll see you next week. See ya. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.